This talk by Joan Sutherland, Accomplished Hearts, was given at Cerro Gordo Temple in Santa Fe, New Mexico, on April 4, 2009. Good evening, Bodhisattvas. Good evening. Um, the last couple of weeks around springtime, I was talking about um, how often the people in this community who have taken up this way are working so hard and so sincerely on their practices and that maybe just for spring we could remember that the legacy, the heritage of this tradition is awakening and that's quite beautiful and maybe we could turn our attention to the promise of that awakening um, as well as the the hard work of practice that sort of tends in that direction. And um, tonight I was thinking about a sort of specific case of that I wanted to talk about that came out of events of this week. The first being that, um, as most of you know, I'm I'm, I'm moving and many of the people in this room came over on Tuesday and helped pack my stuff and um, in preparation for the move and I was so uh, grateful for that and it was for me such a such a lovely day such a such a happy day so full of good feeling on everyone's part <clears throat> and um, so that started me thinking about the the beauties of being in community together like this and the beauties in particular of this community <clears throat> which is um, particularly beautiful, this community. And why that might be so, why is it that we've come together in this constellation that seems so good and right? Um, And then the the next thing was that um, I'm going to Colorado next week to do a retreat there, which will culminate in a refuge ceremony, another refuge ceremony where uh, some people in the Colorado community who are our cousins <clears throat> will take refuge in this way and um, in the promise of awakening and in each other. And every time we do that, um, I'm struck again by the, the wonder somehow of people coming together and agreeing to be committed together to doing this work of becoming <clears throat> more full human beings in the world, not just as individuals, but together. And what an incredibly precious thing it is to be in a community in which people have shared that commitment with each other, share that commitment together. That's really an extraordinary thing. Um, and then the third thing that happened was this morning, I was having breakfast with a group of friends and there were uh, really good fresh croissant from Clifudis and um, great coffee <clears throat> some good music and some lovely conversation and then the phone rang and the news came that a friend had died suddenly that morning and um, afterwards when I was thinking back about how, why that moment felt so extraordinary what, what it seemed to me was that there was you know, good coffee and good conversation and good friendship. And then something happened, and then there was Ben is dead. And I watched everybody just go like that. 
you know, without a hitch, without a moment's, oh, gee, but I was really enjoying that breakfast, or how could we have been doing this frivolous thing when all the while Ben was lying cold in his bed? You know, nothing, no hitch like that, just this and then this, each with everybody's whole heart. And um, that seemed, in its, in its simple way, quite extraordinary. And um, it reminded me of a, an old Taoist saying that if you have an accomplished heart, you've found a true teacher. And what I felt I saw at that breakfast was a group of people with accomplished hearts who were able to do one thing and then turn immediately and wholeheartedly do another thing when circumstances changed without commenting on either you know, without, without having one compared to another, but just this and then this. So um, that got me thinking about the nature of this accomplished heart. What is it that can do that? What is it that has that flexibility and complete commitment to reality, complete commitment to what is actually happening? Um, I know that it's a, <clears throat> it's a cliche to say it, but... The word, um, the Chinese have one word for both heart and mind, and so it's heart-mind, and it's thought of as one thing, it's one system within, within the self. And um, when you're reading Zen stuff, every time you read mind, it's actually heart-mind, if it's Chinese. And um, that matters, that makes a difference. There's something, if you think about... Um, <clears throat> Mind is spacious as the sky. And then you think about heart as spacious as the sky. There's a kind of different quality to the two of those. Mind as big as the world, heart as big as the world. And I think they need each other. Um, I'm not suggesting that we replace one with the other, but that we remember that in the, in the origins of our tradition, they weren't separate. They were one thing. They were one whole, really important part of our being. And um, an accomplished heart feels to me like a heart refined by insight, by the gifts of the mind. And a mind that's connected with the heart feels like a warm mind, a mind that is warmed by the gifts of the heart. And how important it is for all of that to be active in us, how important it is for us not to do the kind of Western thing of well, my mind says one thing, but my heart says another, you know. Is that really true? You know, what's it like to think of them as informing and infusing each other completely? And what's it like to think about acting from a place that is rooted deeply in both of those things without making those kinds of distinctions? Um, So... That, if that feels like um, a good place to be heading towards where one responds with an accomplished heart, with a wise heart, to whatever happens, how do we do that? What's important in that? And one of the things that seems really obvious to me is that relationship is really important in that. Um, if you can have perfect equanimity sitting on your cushion in your room by yourself, so what? You know, really, what does that matter? It makes not the slightest bit of difference to anyone else. And the surprising thing is it doesn't make much difference to you either. If you get up off the cushion 
and get knocked by the first thing that happens, it's not doing you any good at all. And yet that's a kind of image we have of practice, that it's about you know, what happens solitarily on the cushion. And that kind of um, <clears throat> view of it leaves out relationship, which happens at a number of different levels and happens when you're sitting alone on the cushion before you even stand up. Because the most intimate, long-standing, um, lifelong relationship we will have is with ourselves. And we forget that. We forget that there's a relationship going on all the time. And I know that's sort of weird in a Buddhist context to talk about your relationship with yourself. But if you want to know what I'm, what I'm referring to, just you know, just ask yourself, who are you talking to all the time? <laughs> you know, who's talking to you? That's what I'm talking about. That relationship. And what's that like? You know, what is that most intimate relationship for you? Um, is it? Troubled? Is it painful? Does it feel like something you need to fix? You know, is it simple? Is it rising and falling and not much of a big deal? It seems um, it seems really important to understand how we are in that most intimate of relationships and not take that for granted. And my sense from talking to a lot of people over a number of years is that that relationship can be quite troubled and quite difficult and quite a struggle that there's a kind of conflict going on all the time. So that's the first relationship to look at and to wonder about um, what it would mean to bring a wise heart to that relationship. Um, I had an experience today about that most intimate relationship which made me laugh pretty hard. Uh, in this process of moving, the moving can't quite happen because there's all this repair going on at my new house. And it's endless. It goes on week after week after week. And I went up there today, and all I could think of was, I want these people to leave. <laughs> I want them to go home so I can come home. And they just stop. I don't care if the furnace doesn't work. Just go home. And then, um, and then I started noticing stuff like... They had their cigarette butts were all over the place, you know, and they were like using the, the kitchen and not cleaning up afterwards. And, and, I, and what I saw was that the irritation arose first and then the self constituted around the irritation. It was so clear, you know, that this sort of, this non self that had been loping through the day and kind of this and then this and then this, suddenly irritation arose and like iron filings to a magnet, the self went. And then, all, and it was as if, um, if there were irritation, I had to instantly create a self to explain the irritation, you know, to give the irritation an agent. And it just cracked me up, you know. And and immediately I started getting really interested in the way the self constituted around the irritation, and that became much more interesting than the irritation at the builders, you know. And so, there's a way in which we can put light and air in that relationship. There's a way in which even when I was feeling snarky, you know, it was possible to just say, oh, look at that. That's really interesting. Huh. Which is our new mantra. Huh. Um, and, and, And to develop a relationship then that can be quite quicksilver, can change quite quickly. And then, of course, the irritation just vanished and I was just loping through the day again. Um... So that's the first thing, is that, that, um, that relationship with, with your, your most intimate lover, 
um, or torture or <laughs> some combination of the two, whatever it is. And um, and then there are the <clears throat> there are the relationships we have with each other, and I'll speak particularly just about our relationships as community. But obviously, you know, similar things apply to family and friends. Um, when I was uh, coming up through practice, the way that Sangha relationships were described was always with a story like um, the guy who goes to the monastery in Japan and he's given um, potato washing duty. And so being an American, he takes each potato one at a time and scrubs it under the water. You know, when someone comes along and says, no, and puts all the potatoes in a bucket together and puts some water in the bucket and then goes like this and says, potatoes wash each other. And there's, there's something, you know, there's something true about that. And one of the things I'm seeing in this um, community that gives me a great deal of happiness is that there's something also not true about that anymore. That's not the whole story. Um, it's not just about people sort of forced to bump into each other until the rough edges wear off, you know, which is one model. Um, but it feels more like, you know, everybody in the bath together scrubbing each other's backs. And, um, and that's quite nice. That's quite nice, too. Um, there's a way in which there's a sense of uh, we're all doing this together. And um, we're all sort of being lifted on the same tide. And so we're all somehow making that tide together. If I'm completely deluded about this, don't tell me, because I'm like, <laughs> I don't that this is true. <laughs> and it's really, it's really what I see. Um, it seems so powerful to me. And it seems like such a such an immediate expression of wise hearts meeting each other. And um, one of the things that, that is clear because we're a relatively young community is that you don't have to sort of do the work on the cushion for 20 years first before you can have a decent relationship with anybody or you don't have to, you know, forsake any kind of individual work and go out into the world that they just move together naturally, that, that what, we, what we do as individuals and what we do together walk hand in hand, um, and they need each other without their less, each one is less without the other as accompaniment all the time. Um, so there's that, there's that level of relationship, and then there's relationship with the world or relationship with life, however however you want to put that. And that's one we talk about a lot, um, about how we can feel like being a human being is a problem. Meditation and other spiritual practices are about fixing that problem. You know, life is suffering, the world is hard. Um, we do the best we can. And, you know, all of that kind of stuff that really assumes um, a problematic stance with with life in the world. Um, so when we come into a new situation, oftentimes the questions that arise in us are things like, okay, so what's the situation? What's wrong? What needs to be fixed? What do I have to do? Um, what do I need to be aware of, afraid of, you know, concerned about? All of that kind of, there's, a, there's that stance of, um, you know, okay, Another, another task. And so something I want to suggest there is to really change our relationship with that relationship. And to, to think about asking questions like, 
what is here to be enjoyed? What is here that needs attending to? That's really different. I mean, what's the first difference? The eye drops out of it. You know? It's not what do I need to do? What do I need to fix? What do I need to be aware of? What needs to be enjoyed here? What needs to be attended to? And that pretty much covers everything. Enjoyed, attended to. That's about, you know, that's, that's about it. And um, what happens when we make that simple shift? What happens when we come into relationship again and again and again with situation after situation, encounter after encounter, person after person, with that kind of relationship? And then um, even a little further out, there's our relationship with the vastness. And, um, and there... I want, to, I want to say something that, that's similar to what we were talking about the last week or two. Um, we were talking about how there's a, there's a stillness that's underneath both noise and quiet. It doesn't have to do with whether it's noisy or quiet. Um, there's a stillness underneath both of those things out of which all noise and all quiet arise. And it's possible to be in any situation along the spectrum of quiet to noisy and to have that stillness, to feel that stillness, and to be, you know, seated in it, seated in the stillness no matter what, and to be quite noisy, (laughs) seated in the stillness sometimes. And in the same way, I think that there is a happiness that's underneath either joy or sorrow, a happiness that isn't dependent on the conditions of our lives or how we're feeling about a particular thing. And what I mean by that is, um, at this breakfast, you know, the happiness in the first case was pretty obvious. It was people really enjoying each other and really enjoying the situation. The happiness I'm talking about in the second circumstance after the phone call came might be harder to see, but it's there. It's just as strong. There really is nothing different between Ben has died. Okay, what about that? What do we do about that? Um, if the happiness arises not from things being lined up the way we think they ought to be or not from conditions being easy or perfect or pleasurable but a happiness that comes out of a very intimate relationship with what's actually happening and that the intimacy of that relationship is so powerful that it really doesn't matter what the content of the circumstance is. At that deeper level, what matters is being real with it, being intimate with it. And that happiness is available anywhere in any situation, even if it is expressed as tears because someone just died, even if it's throwing your arms around someone who's really feeling the pain of it. That's not unhappy in the way I'm talking about it. It's the deepest happiness because there's no alienation, there's no separation from what's actually happening. And to feel that, to feel right in, right in what's happening is a great and abiding and sustaining happiness.
And that's... um, We can create the circumstances in which that happiness becomes apparent together as a community. It's one of the most powerful and important things we do, which doesn't mean that everything's groovy all the time, you know, but it means that we're real together as much as we can possibly be. And when, we do, when we're real together, whatever the content, whatever's going on, that is an occasion for us to touch the happiness of being right there without separation. Um, fully committed, fully committed to each other, fully committed to life, fully committed to um, finding out how to be the best human beings we can be. Not to fix our heart minds, but to refine these extraordinary heart minds we've been given. That's what we're doing. We're refining it. We're living it more fully. We're giving it we're allowing it its full, or as close to its full expression as we can. Not paring it down, not fixing it, not making it go away, none of that, but actually what is to be enjoyed, what needs to be attended to in our own heart minds and in the heart minds of each other. <clears throat> so um, all of this is by way of saying you know, thank you to the community and expressing an appreciation for who we are together and what we're doing. And um, that's probably the end of the spring series. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I won't be here next week because I will be in Colorado doing the retreat up there. But we'll be meeting here. The group will be meeting. So please come. And um, I'll see you in two weeks. And by then something else will have happened and we'll be talking about that instead. These talks are made available through your donations to Cloud Dragon, the Joan Sutherland Dharma Works. To learn more about her teachings and to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our donate page at joansutherlanddharmaworks.org.